Good morning, church. It's good to be in front of you again this morning in on your screens. And before we start, I think uh, I need to start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a mighty God. We thank you, Lord, that you are high and lifted up. You are exalted on high. You are the King of kings. You are the King of glory, Lord. We want to thank you, oh, Father, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, that there is no other God and there is no other name that we can run to except to, to you, our Father. So, Lord, as we gather together this morning, Father, we ask, Lord God, that you'll be in the midst of us. We know that you are already there, oh, Father, but, Lord, we are asking for more of your presence, Lord God, in our lives. We are asking, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to fill us anew, oh, Lord God. We ask, Lord God, that as we join together, oh, Father, to worship you, oh, Lord God, that, Lord, you will use us, oh, Father, for your glory. I pray, Lord, that as I bring your word, oh, Father, to your children, oh, Lord God, that it will be you, Lord, that is speaking to us, Lord God, through me. Oh, Father. Lord, I want to thank you that, Father, you are God, and Lord God, you are good. There is no other place we can run to except to you, oh, Father. And Lord God, we want to thank you, oh, Father, that, Lord God, yours is a beautiful name, oh, Father. Lord, we want to thank you that you sent your son who died on the cross, oh, Father, so that, Lord, we could be joined together with you, oh, Father, in your kingdom, Lord God, that, Lord God, we could partake, oh, Father, in your glory, oh, Father. So, Lord, as we come this morning, oh, Father, we say, Lord, may your name be exalted. May your name be lifted on high, oh, Father. Lord, we thank you. We glory your name, oh Father, and we ask, Lord God, that take charge and take control, oh Father. Lord, I pray, oh Father, that Lord, as I speak your word, oh Father, that Lord God, it may bring healing, oh Father, to those that are sick, Lord God, that Lord God, it may bring healing, oh Father, to those, oh Father, that are broken hearted, oh Lord God, it may bring comfort, oh Lord God, for those, oh Father, that are mourning, oh Father, Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord God, that your word, oh Father, is life, oh Father, so Lord, give us your life this morning, oh God, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, I heard of uh, a story of uh, this guy who had his friend who was uh, an alcoholic and he did drink quite a lot. So the friend thought he would intervene in the situation. So he found this alcohol with the strongest contents that he could find. And he poured that into a glass and in another glass, he poured water. And then uh, he then took out another jar. In the jar, he had two worms. In one, in one of the glasses, the one with alcohol, he put one. In the other with water, he put one. And within minutes or within seconds, the one that was in alcohol uh, was uh, was dead and it looked like it, it, it had been cooked, whereas the other one in the water was still wiggling about and it was st still alive. So he asked his friend, did you see that? He says, yeah, I saw that. And he says, what do you think is the moral of the story? He says, the moral of the story is if you drink alcohol, you won't have any worms in your, in your system. So obviously he had missed the point altogether. Why am I telling you this story? It's because my title this morning is avoiding misunderstanding. So we might 
say or do things that might bring a misunderstanding to other people. And we need to be clear that we avoid that misunderstanding. And our scripture comes from Acts 21. It's a quite a long one. We're starting from verse 18 all the way to Acts chapter 22, verse 29. Before I read that, uh, I want to tell you uh, the things that you have already heard or that you already know, that God is God and God is a good God. God is forever working. Some of you might have heard the song Waymaker. I love that song because it tells us how God is forever working. It tells us that he never stops. He surely keeps working. I like particularly the part of the song that says, even if I don't see it, you are working. So sometimes we might think things are not working. And sometimes we might try to measure God, or should I say, most of the time we try and measure God, we try and compartmentalize him. But God is God. He cannot be contained. The Bible says, heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. That means he cannot be contained in the heavens or on the earth. So we need to know that when we are dealing with God, we are dealing with a powerful God. So where am I going with this? As we have been going through the book of Acts uh, throughout the, uh, over the last couple of, of months, we saw in chapter nine where Saul had woken up and we was on his journey to Damascus to persecute Christians. And little did he know that on that journey that God was working. And on that encounter, he met with God and God transformed him. So we've gone through the different parts of his life and now we are meeting him on chapter 21. He is in Jerusalem. And we have read over the last couple of weeks about how he had been prevented from going to Jerusalem. But he is in Jerusalem now. And last week Keith spoke about how Paul was going to be arrested. But when he goes to Jerusalem, he meets with the elders and he's sharing about the goodness of God, of what God has done over his ministry. And what I like about that is Paul's humility. He is not saying, this is what I have done. This is what I've done in ministry. I've had so many people converted or this or that. But he is saying about the goodness of God, about the things that God has done through him. So this is another visible evidence of how good God is. Although we know that we are saved by grace, not by the works, some people will still believe otherwise. As we see, uh, let me just read a few verses here. I'll start from verse 18. It says, the next day Paul went to meet us with James and all the elders of Jerusalem church were present. 
After greeting, after greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God. And they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews also believed and they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow the Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Here's what, here is what you, we want you to do. We, want, we have four men here who, are, who have completed a vow. So this vow that we're talking about here was something called the Nazarene, Nazarene vow. So that is found in Numbers, Numbers chapter 6 from verse 9 to 20. If you want to find out more about it, you can read on there. So in that vow, uh, people would separate themselves for God and they will abstain from things such as uh, grapes, wine, anything that is got to do with grapes or grape skins or raisins, or they'll have to abstain from meat. And during that time, they were not supposed to cut their hair as well. So at the end of that, of that vow or at the end of that period, they would present themselves to the to the synagogue so that the cleansing ceremony would be done. And when that was done, their hair was shaved off and it was uh, put together with a, with a sacrifice. So they had two sacrifices. One was called a bent offering and one was a peace offering. So they'll bring that to the, to the temple for the priest to do the cleansing ceremony for them. But in this case, we know that those things are no longer done because Christ has taken the place. He has taken the place as the ultimate sacrifice. So there is no longer a need for people to be doing those sacrifices. But as we see here, the elders are talking about the four young men that have uh, vowed to, to take that Nazarene vow. And they're asking Paul to take it together with them. So it says, Go with them to the temple and join in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are also false and that you observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, they should know what you've already told them in a letter. They should abstain from eating food up to the idols and from consuming blood or meat of strangled animals or from sexual immorality. So because Paul did not want to cause any uproar, he obliged with their taking part in that ritual. You might be asking, why did Paul do that when he actually knew the truth, when he knew where he stands? But the answer to that is found in 1 Corinthians 9 from verse 19 to 23. And it reads, though I am free and belong to no one, 
I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law that though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those having the law, to those not having the law, I became like not like the one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. So I have become all things to all the people so that, all, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So here we see Paul is telling us why he's doing that. He did it, but in all, Paul knew what his identity is and he knew who he is in Christ. So I'll ask you and I ask myself as well, what is my identity? What am I doing in my life that gives me that identity in Christ? What is identity in the first place? So it says here, uh, or when I looked it up in, in, in the dictionary, it says it's the effect of being who or what a person or a thing is. And the second definition is the characteristics determining who or what a person or a thing is. And identity of an object serving to establish who the holder, owner, or weaver is by bearing their name and often other details such as their signature, their, their photograph, or their logo. So if we go back to the beginning and look at Genesis 1 verse 26, God says, let us make men in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and everything creeping and oh, sorry on and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth to me this tells me that i am made in the image of the most high god and therefore the characteristics that i have within me determine who i am in god they determine how I am linked to God. My DNA is linked to the DNA of God because I'm made in God's image. My identity is therefore not of this world. My identity is of Christ. I'm not defined by my physical appearance. I'm not defined by my ethnicity, my culture, my wealth or where I live, but I am determined by what God says I am. He says when he, when he died on that cross, he said it is finished. And I became on that point, I became a joint heir with Christ. I am now considered a child of, of God because of what Christ did on that cross. And there's only one person that can give me or who has got the right or the authority to identify me. 
and that is God. And only the one that gave you life has got that authority to identify you. So for us to know and maintain our identity, we have to have intimacy with God. The enemy has a tendency of deceiving us and putting all the negative thoughts and and those thoughts are a way that he uses to confuse us. But we know the truth and the Bible tells us that we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. So do you know the truth? Do you know who you are in Christ? I'll encourage you to be watchful and be enlightened. It doesn't matter what the world has called you. It doesn't matter what your parents have said about you. What matters is who God says you are. The enemy might tell you that you are a failure. You can't do this or you can't do that. But the Bible tells me I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No matter what lie the enemy brings to me, I know that if God says I can, then I can. God has given you a name and he has set your destiny and no one can change that destiny. And God has called you with a calling. According to Romans eleven twenty nine. it says, for the gifts of God and his call can never be withdrawn. So once God has called you, he has called you, there's no one that can change that. So in the case of Paul, he did not compromise the gospel, but he compromised on non-essential points in order to win those that were not in the, in the way, as, as he calls it in some versions. So he did, he did that uh, cleansing ceremony. He partook in that, not because he had to, but he did that so that he could win those that are, were lost. It was for the sake of the gospel to share the blessings of the gospel. Paul knew that the old ways did not bring salvation, but that. Salvation was through faith and not through works. He even wrote about it in Romans 3.28. And he says, therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Or is, the God, or is he the God of Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is no, there is no one God Sorry, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the circumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish law through our faith. So as a church, we need to be careful not to focus on the non-essential things and have disagreements on the non-essential things, but rather we need to focus on the gospel of Christ. 
We need to ensure that we're not watering the gospel down. We're not watering the word down or compromising on it. But we need to ensure that we preach it as it is. Because if we are watering it, we will be judged according to our what we have said and led people to go astray. At the end of the day, it does not matter what the world says about you. What matters is that you do your part in your calling. I've seen churches split over minor disagreements, over issues of uh, traditions. We are not called to practice tradition, but we are called to be the salt and the light of the earth. Also, bear in mind that we are all in different stages in our walk with Christ. There are some, as Paul speaks, who are babies who drink milk. And there are some who are on solid foods right now. Therefore, when we are dealing with each other, when we are discipling each, each other, we need to be aware of where we are in our faith. And we need to be aware that we are not bringing unwholesome debates into whatever platforms that we might be using that might cause other people to be offended or that might cause other people to stumble. But we need to ensure that we are encouraging one another and we are in doing so growing in our faith, in our walk with Christ. We need to have compassion over one another. And we need to do it with humility as well. So uh, I'll read on. Verse 25. As for the Gentile believers, they should... Uh, I've already read that. Yeah. Verse 26. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows will end and sacrifices will be offered for each of them. The seven days were almost ended when some of the Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and rose a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles his holy place by bringing Gentiles. They say this because they had seen Paul earlier on in the city with Trumphias, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul had taken him to the temple. The whole city was robbed by this accusation and a great riot followed. Paul, grabbed, Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they, were, as they were trying to kill him, the word reached the commander of the Roman regiment and that all Jerusalem was in uproar. He was immediately called. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd and the mob and saw the command. When the mob saw the commander and the troops, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him to be bound in chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. 
Some shouted one thing and some another, since he couldn't find the truth in all this uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached its stairs, the mob grew violent. So the soldiers had to lift him up on their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind shouting, kill him, kill him. So I don't know if you see any significance in this or if you, it brings to remembrance something here. This was the same place where Jesus was brought for the trial. And this is the same mob almost that was shouting, kill him, kill him. So as Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert. So this uh, Egyptian that they're talking about here, uh, he was leading a mob of uh, assassins. They would, uh, would tell them, turn them in today's uh, terminology. They were like terrorists. They will go among people and uh, assassinate people. So they were taken to the desert and the majority of those 4,000 men were killed out in the desert, but the leader actually escaped. He was never caught. So this is why uh, the commander is asking Paul if he is one of them, because he thought he was the the leader of those assassins, the, the Egyptian leader who, who had been on the run since then. But Paul replies, no, I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and mentioned to the people, be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the car and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Brothers and sisters, brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speak in their own language, there was silence, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamil. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did. Just like all of you today, I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding the same, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify to this, for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I, as I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down 
around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying, soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking. I asked, what I asked, what should I do? And the Lord told me, get up, go into Damascus. There you'll be told everything to do. So here we are seeing, even though he has been arrested, Paul is still sharing the gospel. He's still sharing his testimony. There is so much power in your testimony. It is your story, after all. It's you that went through it. You can tell it better than anyone else. So Paul was telling his testimony, and he's telling how he obeyed God. So obedience is key in our, in our walk with Christ. Paul obeyed. And the, and the rest is history. Some of us were not meant to be where we are, but we are where we are because we haven't taken a step, a step of obedience. Like I said earlier, God is God and God is a good God. He says in Isaiah 55, Verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to, to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return empty, but it will accomplish every purpose and every desire for which I sent it. So God sent to Paul to Damascus. He sent Paul to Damascus. And Paul didn't ask, what am I going to do in the next 10 years? What's the plan, Lord? What am I going to do? Paul obeyed and went to Damascus. And when he went to Damascus, he was told, what was going to happen. So we, we might be sitting there waiting for God to give us the full picture of where we are going, but that does not work that way. All we need to do is to listen to his word and obey. Take that step of, of faith and obey. We need to remember that we walk, we work according to God's plan. God is God. We fit into his plan. It's not the other way around. If you did not know, the Bible tells us that even before we open our mouths to ask, God already knows what we need. So God knows all about our lives, all about our plans. But what he wants is for us to have that relationship with him, to have that intimacy with him and let him take charge. When we pray, we say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done. So when we are saying your will be done, are we just saying it with our mouths or do we mean it with our hearts? Are we letting God in to our hearts so that his will will be done? And when God says, I want you to do this, are we questioning him? Are we saying, why do I have to do it this way, Lord? If we are saying your will be done, we need to be submitting to his will and let his will take precedence over our lives. Let him be the one that directs us. The Bible tells us that in his mind, a man plans his ways, but his steps are ordered by the Lord. Are you letting God order your steps? Are you letting him lead? Or do you want to lead? And then when you are stuck, you then turn back to him and say, which way should I go here, Lord? Many a time I've done that. I thought, oh, I know, I know where I need to go. And I found, no, I'm going the wrong direction. So we need to be taking a moment and examining our path. Are we going in the right direction? Are, are we being led? by Christ, or are we trying to lead Christ in our own plans? I had, uh, I was listening to a, a preach during the week, and this person was talking about a lady who came to the pastor to seek some counseling. She wanted to get married, and she said, uh, the other people around me, the church members have told me that this guy is not good for me. But I've told the Lord that I am going to come and see you. And whatever you're going to tell me to do, then I will do that. So instead of seeking counsel or discerning what the people around her were saying, she had already made her mind that she wanted the pastor to tell her that it's all right for her to marry that guy. So that is a prime example of where we, we are leading and we want God to follow our direction. But that's not the way things work. God tells us to, to head to Damascus and we will get the next instruction there. So take that step of faith and head to where God is leading you. So verse 10 of 22 says, I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go to Damascus. There you'll be told everything you are to do. There you'll be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by intense light and had to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and regarded and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. He told me, God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will 
and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What you are, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was, com- I was in complete agreement when your, wit- your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept course I kept the course of they who took. I stood by and kept the course of they who took. They took off and stoned him, but the Lord said to me, "Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles." The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout. Away with such a fellow, he isn't fit to live. They yelled and threw off their coats and tossed and toss handfuls of dust into the air. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him to be lashed to make him confess to his crime. So this lashing was the same lashing that they did to Jesus. So it was the same tool, uh, which was a whip with, a, with a metal strips attached to it that they used to get someone to confess. And when they used that whip, uh, some people would bleed so much that they wouldn't make it through the lashing. So the commander wanted to find out why the the crowd had become so furious. When Paul, when when they, pulled, when they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who, has, who hasn't been tried? When the officer heard this, he, sent, he went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over to Paul and went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes. Certainly I am, Paul replied. I am too, said the commander, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdraw when they heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him to be bound and whipped. So, when Paul headed for Jerusalem, he knew that he was going to be arrested. And this was the last time that Paul was free. When he is arrested here, he, for the rest of the, of the book, Paul is in chains. He even writes in, in one of these books that he is in chains for Christ. But from what I read, Paul was actually free even though he was physically in chains, he was free. He had gained freedom. He was under house arrest, but he was 
still able to preach the gospel freely. People came in search of the truth. And Paul did a great job while he was in in house arrest. And Paul knew when he was called that his calling was not going to be an easy calling. So when God calls us, he doesn't tell us that the road is going to be easy, but he calls us to trust him. So are you putting your trust in God today? Or are you putting your trust in men? Are you putting your trust in the systems that you have around you? When you are faced with difficult situations, what is your first step? What do you do? Do you pick up your phone and call a friend? Or do you go down on your knees and call on God? The first thing that you do determines how your problem gets solved. Whatever we do, let us remember that we serve a living God. And let us remember that with him, everything is possible. God is a God that cares about us. Let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 3. I'll start reading from verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the life, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So it tells us here that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask according to the power is in is at work in us. So whatever we are faced, let us run to him. Let us not run from him, but let us run to him. So it might be that today you have slipped away or you feel you are distant from him. But he is calling you. He's got his arms wide open. He's ready to embrace you. Just like 
the prodigal son, the prodigal son when he went home his father ran to him he is ready to run towards you and bring you home it might be that you don't know him you've never had that relationship with him today he is calling you to come to him so i'll urge you to take that opportunity to bring yourself to him so that he may be the god of your life so that he will rule in your life so if that's you i would like to pray with you this morning if you you are feeling that you are struggling in your walk i would like to pray with you this morning and if you you feel you need prayer after i've prayed you can contact one of the elders of the church uh you can contact keith you can contact andy you can contact dave or you can contact your house group leader anyone that you feel comfortable to speak to you can contact me i will pray with you okay if that's you i'll i'll urge everyone to bow our our heads and close our eyes And if that's you, I would like you to pray that pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again and you are seated in heaven next to the Father. I invite you to come into my heart and I now receive you as the lord and savior of my life i say come and dwell with me and let your will be done i ask you lord to forgive all of my sins and i give my life to you today in jesus name i pray amen if you prayed that prayer i'll urge you to get in touch and we will pray with you and i'll urge you to get in touch with the bible based church and if you pray the prayer we believe that you have been born again and would like to walk with you on your new walk into christianity thank you all for joining us this morning